Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Okay, <clears throat> good morning, everyone. I'm glad to have you with me this morning with us. Um, it's been a long, <laughs> long morning with lots of sits. So um, I know for me it was kind of sleepy time, but anyway, here we are. Uh, so as projected, I'm going to be talking about the Four Noble Truths. So um, I'd like to kind of connect into what Ellen was talking about. She kind of told us about the Buddha and what his history was um, and how he came to uh, be under a Bodhi tree and meditating the whole night until he uh, realized the Four Noble Truths and uh, became the Buddha actually. So um, there's some things I kind of wanted to go over about that. <clears throat> and that is just, um, it's obvious, but the Buddha left home to find the end of suffering. That's his main, main point. So uh, as Alan mentioned, he studied with these other two teachers. He learned everything he could. And then after each teacher, he said, well, great. I learned a lot, but I'm still... There's still suffering, still there's this uh, desire in me. <clears throat> um, so he went on with the aesthetic, uh, ascetic monks and the same thing. He was with them for quite some time. And, and despite the uh, severe practices, after so much time, <clears throat> it's, he still hadn't found the end of suffering. He hadn't discovered that. And so, uh, as Ellen mentioned, he, he was um, basically starving. Um, and uh, there's a woman by the name of Sujeta, who's a, a daughter of a farmer near there. And she um, took, had compassion for him because he was starving and gave him some um, rice milk pudding, uh, which probably saved his life. And uh, after that, he, after having eaten, he regained his strength somewhat and, and he began to think, well, here I've been doing all these practices for so long and my body is in terrible shape and I still haven't found the answer. So at that point, this woman's compassion toward him reminded him of the compassion that he had felt as a child, as a very young child, sitting under a, under a rose apple tree on the day, it was the first day of plowing in, uh, in the area where he had lived, where his family lived. And so the whole community got together and they had a big celebration and they began to plow the fields. And <clears throat> so Siddhartha was sitting under the tree. He had attendance and when the festivities got going, the attendants all went down to kind of join in a little bit. So he was there by himself. 
And he looked down and could see as they were plowing, they were churning up the little plants and churning up the insects. And immediately he had this um, sense of great compassion. Um, and so he remembered that. And also after the compassion arose, shortly thereafter, great joy, because like kind of came back into where he was at the moment. There's great joy about the festivities. So from that, he realized that perhaps positive feelings instead of such uh, lack of, of food and so forth and so on, um, perhaps that that was a better way to go. And so indeed he, he changed the way he, um, his methods for finding the end of suffering. And so he went under the Bodhi tree and said, I'm staying here until until I find the answer here. <clears throat> so, uh, so he sat through the night and despite all the temptations of Mara that were presented, he was not deterred. And he went through three, this three um, major insights. The first one had to do with past lives where he was able to see all his past lives and who he was and what he looked like and so forth. And the second was the insight of ten, uh, transmigration, rebirth, and karma. And the, the law of moral cause and effect. Um, and he became intrigued by the observation that right and wrong views were intimately related to the behavior of beings and to the repercussions of their actions. <clears throat> so this led him to believe that karma Karma was primarily a mental process. It was not a physical one. So in meditative traditions at that time, um, things that led to negative karma were called defilements and therefore led to an unfortunate birth. So in the third insight, he um, saw into the nature of suffering itself and how to end it. So, so quote, the Buddha with mind concentrated, purified, bright, unblemished, rid of defilement, pliant, malleable, steady, and attained to interoperability. He directed it to the knowledge of the ending of mental defilements. Thus, the Buddha realized the Four Noble Truths. My heart thus knowing, this is the Buddha speaking now, Thus seeing was released from the defilement of sensuality, released from the defilement of becoming, released from the defilement of ignorance. With release, there was the knowledge, released. I, I, discerned, I discerned that birth is ended, the holy life fulfilled, the task done. And so, the Buddha. So, from... From that, his sitting under this tree, he came up with the Four Noble Truths. And as um, Ellen talked about, the first Noble Truth, the Noble Truth of Suffering, or Dukkha. Dukkha is often translated, has several translations, suffering, stress, um, dissatisfaction, and unease. The second Noble Truth is, is the Noble Truth of Origination, or the Noble Truth of Arising, 
of sufferings, Anudaya. The third is the noble truth of the cessation of suffering, Naroda. And the fourth, the noble truth of the way to cessation of suffering, Patipada. So I want to just point out that the first two insights um, are not, uh, don't have to, the Buddhists don't have to experience the first two insights nor do we have to believe in transmigration, uh, rebirth, but it was the background worldview of the Buddhist time, uh, but his teachings do not actually depend on those first two insights. So we can just focus on the third insight and that brings us to the Four Noble Truths, if that makes sense. So, um, now I'm gonna put a little bit of extra stuff in here just because I was firing off connections in my brain and I can't help but share them. And I'm not gonna go in great depth of this, but I just got so excited about it when I was reading it. <laughs> I'm gonna give it to you. And that is, um, so what I've just said um, makes me think of, well, it has to make one think of the dependent colon rising, which is where it all comes from. And you don't have to know what that is right now, but I just want to address the fact that um, some of the connections that were made um, came directly from the Pentecostal rising that um, led to the Four Noble Truths. So, for example, there's a whole list of things that lead to bondage. There's a whole in one's life, you know, attachments and so forth. And then you can use a lot of those same elements and you can go to liberation, which is what the Buddha discovered, is how you could get to liberation. So the factors that are most important in leading to stress and suffering occur prior to sensory contact. And that's important because this means that it, that it is caused by, the suffering is caused by attitudes and views, as I mentioned earlier, um, that they're, they are brought to any sensory contact, pleasant or not. So it comes before then. So that's why you know it's mental that's causing suffering as opposed to something that you do. Um, and Joel has offered a talk recently about this, about the point in which you start noticing where you're, where you're going off, if you really pay attention and where your view changes or you establish a view. Anyway, um, ignorance, therefore, ignorance um, is the primary cause of suffering. And on the other hand, knowledge is the primary factor leading to cessation. So the sequence of dependent co-arising can be unraveled only by replacing ignorance with knowledge in terms of the Four Noble Truths. So you need the Four Noble Truths to get to the liberation side as opposed to bondage. Um, so ignorance is, is, is the most strategic factor in causing the other factors to contribute to stress or not. Um, so instead of using causal factors of, of dependent co-arising to create suffering and stress, a meditator learns to use them as factors of the path. Okay, enough of that dependent co-arising. So um, in terms of every day, um, we tend to, instead of looking at our experience, in terms of self or other or what you might like or not like 
Um, you can look at it in terms of their stress, which is what noble truth, first noble truth is. Let's look at it. What's going on? What's really going on here? So that's, we look at our experience. We're not looking at the experience. We're looking at our view that determines what our action was afterward. So what's causing it and how do we put an end to the cause? So, um, so this, the, the skill with regard to stress, the skill around getting rid of stress, I suppose, is to comprehend, comprehend the stress or the suffering to the point where you have no more passion, aversion, or delusion toward it. So to perfect that skill requires that one abandon the cause of, of stress, whatever that may be. Um, <laughs> uh, I noticed the other day, it's kind of embarrassing, but I'll, I'll share it anyway. Um, I actually was driving to the Zendo in the morning, and there's an intersection. Kim knows this intersection well, and well, all of us do in Austin. Anyway, on 38th Street, where you go from two lanes into one lane as you cross Guadalupe Street. And um, I think for most people, and I will say for me, you know, it causes a certain amount of tension because the light is a little bit short there, and you're trying to, you're trying to get to the Zendo on time. So I happen to know a lot of times I'm, I come to the, the light and I'm in La La Land, which is the other direction. And so several people will get ahead of me before I even realize the lights change. And other times it's very clear that I'm making it through this intersection. And so it becomes this competition, you know? And, it's, and I realized it the other day. I said, wow, I can't believe. I mean, I knew I was doing it on some level, but I never really looked at it that closely. <laughs> It's like, what a way to drive around. I think a lot of people drive around with a lot of competition in their mind, and that's why we have all sorts of road rage. But it was just interesting that something small like that, um, you, you look at what, what's your, what, what was my view at the time? I want to get to the, the Zendo on time. That's the all, most important thing in the world. Oh, really? <laughs> anyway, so that's just an example of, of how we, our view about something can really affect what we do and how we act. You know, it's not very nice to be competitive, like, get out of my way. <laughs> Go into the center. <laughs> anyway, so, um, all right. So the first noble truth, let's go through the whole process of the four noble truths. Um, the task is, as Ellen mentioned, where the first noble truth of suffering is to understand your suffering. So what does that mean usually in practical terms? It means just, um, particularly in meditation, is just looking at it carefully, deeply, spending time with it, and without anger, you know, without some sort of attitude about it. That this shouldn't be here, or oh, I'm an awful person, because then you're just adding to the suffering anyway. So you just be with it, be with it, be with it, be with it. Just sit with it, and and turn towards it. There's an there's all kinds of suffering, right? There's huge suffering, which is you know real serious death of 
people, children, and all sorts of really strong suffering. And uh, I was reading some stuff by uh, Gil Franzdahl, and he was talking about how the big stuff is like some sort of monster, you know, that they're growling and vicious and, you know, that's your suffering. So it's like, you, you're not going to run at it. You, you want to turn away. There's no way you're getting near that. And sometimes that's the way our big suffering feels. But he said the trick, it's not much of a trick, is, is just being with it, just looking it right in the eye without, I say, without judgment, without hostility, and just being with it. And the monster, as he calls it, the monster is, is there trying to scare you. And, but they realize also that you've got something. You can sit right there in front of his meanness and stuff and just look it in the eye. It's a really amazing thing to be able to do. And it has an impact. So you hold your ground there and you sit in the midst of your suffering with a stance of calm and peace and just look. So that's the first task. And it, it may take a while, right? Depending on the nature of the suffering. The second noble truth, Samadaya, of the origin or arising of suffering, the task there is the cause the cause. What is the cause of our suffering? So um, in the case of my, my driving habit, the cause was hurry, you know, just needed to be, was worried about being on time. That's a pretty easy one to fix, really. You can let go with that and say, you know, <laughs> once you recognize it, you can kind of laugh at yourself and say, really? But the bigger stuff is a little bit more, can be more complicated. Um, but just posing the question is, what's the cause of this distress that I'm feeling right now can reveal something about what we can do. Sometimes, not always. So, um, and we can have a different relationship with the cause. So I'm in a hurry. Maybe I should start a little earlier or just relax about driving. Doesn't have to be this big competition. Um, we can let it be. We can decide not to pick it up, whatever it is that we're suffering. We might just put it aside. There's a lot of different ways we can deal with that, the suffering the cause of it. So, and then there's other situations where it's not, a, not the cause in itself is not the issue. It's, it's a condition behind it. So an example, this is a Gil Bonsdahl's example, which I thought was really great. Um, he was talking about it being, uh, well, a, a more, this is, this is for a smaller case, more like the car driving thing. So you're at a Christmas party, you've been invited to a Christmas party or what have you, a party, and you're, um, you're seated, you, you're given a chair next to somebody that you really, you really don't like. And so um, the question becomes is how are you going to deal with that? 
you know what what is you know the cause what is this what is the cause of the suffering there well it's it's your point of view about this person and that this is going to be an awful time because this person is here for whatever reason maybe they talk a lot or you know so again this is this is easy this is easy to take care of you decide well I, i'll leave it's a bit drastic you let it you let it be you might just turn to them and say um how's your year been you know you can engage in a conversation it won't kill you and you might find something new about the person so that's not so bad that's not so bad but you can you can really get wound up and obsess about it beforehand but you can take care of it it's not that big a deal so um so there's other situations where there's a underlying condition is like um you're so you're at this retreat and and everybody's lined up this is a big group of people lined up for for food for for the cookies there's a long line and you really want one of those cookies i mean really want now you've already had your dinner and you've already had a cookie or two but you're going back and so you're looking to see how many people are between you and that cookie and thinking hmm you know how can how can how can you get there without <laughs> you don't want to miss that cookie so in this situation there's behind it there's this um compulsion right you know there's this um, drivenness that you have that you want i mean it's not just i want to eat a cookie and you already have one it, it's that you're it has this kind of addictive sort of thing going on behind it you're not going to say i can take it or leave it that's not what's going on it's a stronger urge much stronger thing and so when you have desires like that then what's the cause well on the one hand the cause is this desire this really strong desire um and it seems sometimes impossible to not to give in so in this kind of case um there's suffering involved because there's a the desire has some sort of tension attached to it you know it's like ah, i got to have that cookie um and there's a loss of freedom right when you have that kind of compulsion and so um and this is what's causing or this is you suffer consequently so in that case we feel um feel much more limited and we um feel less we have a we have this burden and it's a kind of an inner burning which is not very pleasant so we just have to have this cookie so in this case um well the action of letting things be is very useful just letting the situation be in the sense of looking at it because you learn you need to learn to let it be you need to see it more clearly but you want to understand what's behind it you want to understand how it's evolving and, and let it show itself so so what do you do is that you sit with that you sit with the 
it's what they call thirst. This is the thirst compulsion. And you sit with that, and it's it, it's um, probably not really easy to sit with, but it's if you just, again, look at it and just be with it without being negative toward it and, or angry or that kind of thing, what will emerge is something along, well, maybe, maybe it's just loneliness. Maybe it's just loneliness that's there. That's why you have this urge for this cookie. It's, it's satiating this other desire. And so you say, well, but I'm in a, in a room full of people. But we know that there's loneliness in huge crowds, right? And so you sit with the loneliness. Sit with the loneliness. And these things you have to hold, just hold and sit, just hold and sit. Hold and sit. And then slowly, slowly, something up, some, something else will crop up. It will reveal itself in some fashion. And behind it, something like, in this case, something like, oh, I just want to be, want to be loved and love. Which is it's translated into loneliness, which is trans it's translated into a desire so strong. And it's a very human thing, right? Loneliness, it's very, very human. It's not like it's something awful, but it's hard to deal with, right, directly. Um, and then you can, you can deal with this want to be loved, love, sit with that. And what will come up behind that, there may be this feeling just of tenderness, Tenderness there, sweet tenderness that there is there. And if you watch that really, really carefully, it's, this is a lot of meditation, by the way. This is uh, um, sitting with that. And what you'll notice is there's the impulse of the tenderness is not, it's not permanent, it's not constant, that it will rise and fall and rise and fall. And there you've, you've, you've made it through in the sense of you realize this is not permanent. This is, we can deal with this. We can deal with this. So it's, it's, that's quite a practice. It's, and it takes time to, a lot of time to get through sometimes to some of these deeper feelings that are there that we, we, don't, we just kind of don't even notice. Um, but this is this is the greatness of the Four Noble Truths is being able to get get at some of this stuff. So then we'll move on to the uh, cessation, the Noble Truth of cessation, of suffering the Rhoda. and there the cessation is realized. So if we take the first example of um, uh, say uh, me and my car, my driving habits stopping to doing just paying attention to what I do and say, hmm, do I really want to do that? And paying attention every time I at least get to that place to say, okay, take a deep breath. <laughs> Don't have to race through this thing. Or, you know, feel like we have to fight somebody through the intersection. So once you have the cessation realized, <coughs> then we have the four noble the fourth noble truth, the way to cessation of suffering and the past developed. And so 
then we can continue to use the, the um, Eightfold Path and, and specific ones to, to help us with whatever it is that we're dealing with. And the first one, of course, is a great place to start, right view. Um, how much time do we have? Ooh, we're talking a lot. Um, let me just do that. I almost panicked at a blank page in here. <laughs> anyway, what was I saying? Um, so, yeah, so then we move on to the, the um, Eightfold Path. In the right view. So I just want to say a couple of things about, about view. Um, Okay, this is what I wanted to say. So the Buddha's enlightenment process, which we've just been describing and talking about, or I've been talking about, um, was not, it's important to understand this, it's not an intellectual inquiry. It's not intellectual. He didn't sit in meditation and just perceive abstract principles about the way the universe worked. This is not what he did. Instead, Siddhartha's realizations were about the nature of human experience and how you can radically alter your experience from the inside. So instead of going on the outside, which we all have a tendency, I think, of doing, looking to the outside to find the solution to things. And many times it's, it's in here, and it's our experience, and we observe our experience and see what's really going on. So he applied what he learned to his own mind and proved his insights were true by achieving his own peace and liberation. And then he um, he told his friends, disciples about it, and then they tried it, and indeed it worked too. So it was the, the experiment was successful. So it can be successful for us as well. Um, so central to this at all, to this approach is the recognition of the mental aspects of karma, which I talked about earlier. And one's attachments are attachments to sens sensuality of desire or desire to experience pleasure and avoid pain. And then you perform a particular action, you have this view, and then you perform this action, and then chances are good that this action has some negative results, which you eventually feel. And in reaction to the painful feelings, your desire to experience pleasure and avoid pain. So there it goes, it never gets going. And inevitably you form more ill-advised ill or ignorant views. <clears throat> so again, you can break this cycle by giving up your attachment to sensuality, deconstructing your ignorant views, and transcending self-interest. These are all things the Buddha did. Okay. Um, yeah, so one thing that he, because he noticed his own uh, suffering and um, instead of being satisfied with answers about external conditions, such as you feel strapped because the world is just this way, or 
death is inevitable or he saw that when held when he held certain views based on self-interest or a view that um, would confine something permanent and unchanging to hold on to that's when the dukkha dukkha arises but when we don't hold these views dukkha went away so the proof is in the pudding so, so the the um, this stress, this is stress, and this is suffering means just to recognize the presence of our of our dukkha in our mind and ex examine it closely. So, and then then we're looking at our views when we're look, we're finding the uh, origination of dukkha is to look at those views, and then the cessation is to drop the views cause dukkha and thereby become free from stress and suffering even when you encounter the normal difficulties of human life so right view i'm just going to say a couple of things right view is essential in in uh, following the buddha's way and most of what we say or do or think is based on our views whether it's conscious or not so our views based are based on our orientations, perspectives, and beliefs, and that helps us understand ourselves and world, our world. But unfortunately, if that's off, if those are off, then our actions and our view is going to be ignorant and or off, and then so are our actions. And many times, our core beliefs or views are so deeply ingrained and habitual that we can't even see them. Even if they are visible, we accept them as being true instead of just being our view. So that's our challenge, right? Is to, to realize that and pay attention. So most, uh, many of our views just don't serve us. They're just based on opinions and stories that we've created. And that leads to the suffering in our lives. But, the, but right view we can see through our beliefs and come to understand how to bring an end to our suffering and discover the path to inner freedom. So there are two forms of right view. One is that whatever we think, do, or say is never in a vacuum. In other words, everything we do, think, or say has impact on others. Um, and so there can have ethical consequences. If our activity is based on greed, hate, and delusion, it will cause harm. If, however, our actions are based on generosity and kindness, the consequences will be a benefit. So it's a matter of switching those, switching those, learning what we're doing, paying attention to it, and switching where we're coming from. The second kind of right view is based on the Four Noble Truths, as discussed above, so about understanding what our attachments are and um, possibly letting them go and thereby end our suffering giving us both encouragement and guidance that we can do it that we can do that practice using the four noble truths in our life creates a lot of great greater ease of felt sense of well-being and freedom so thank you very much We'll continue this afternoon with an exercise on the four of the truths and then
tomorrow we'll be heading into the Eightfold Path. Thank you.